Hey sickos, I'm LJ. And I'm Toe. And this is Say Psycho Right Now. Say Psycho Right Now is a true crime and paranormal podcast. Some content may be considered disturbing or graphic. We don't typically provide trigger warnings due to the nature of the content we discuss. Listener discretion is advised. We are also potty mouths. If you're not put off by that, shout out you. Buckle up and get ready for another episode of Say Psycho. To shop brand merchandise, access our socials, or become a Patreon member with access to early episodes and bonus content, find us on any social media platforms and consult the link tree in our bio, or go to www.patreon.com slash psycho right now. You can also follow us on our socials or wherever you stream your podcasts and leave a five-star review if you're enjoying our content so that we can continue to reach more people. Following us on Patreon enables us to produce more content and enables you to access more content. So we highly recommend checking that out. Now let's get into today's episode. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. So for this episode where we left off, this is a two-parter. Um, this episode was like immediately available for our patron patrons. I wanted to say Patreons, <laughs> but patrons would be the right word. But it was immediately available for patrons, available the next week for our lovely, lovely peeps, our sickos, our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we left off, we kind of gave a you're disclaimer. You're all sickos, but then we have like extra special sickos Patreon. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And you could be one for as little as three dollars less than a coffee. Just saying. But where we left off on the last episode, I gave a disclaimer that this this is where we really get into the thick of it, into the thick of it Did with <laughs> with Can we get this sued for that? subject line. I don't think so. Okay. Hashtag not sponsored. So, not that I even know who would be sponsoring us for that. Oh, I think that would be the Backyardigans. Oh, fact. <laughs> don't ask me how you have kids and I don't, and somehow I know that. God, because Backyardigans aren't really like my kids' vibes. They kind yeah, of they that, don't really vibe know? with the Backyardigans. They like the, the dog family. The dog family? <laughs> yeah, you know, the dog family. Oh, Bluey. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah fact so yeah just i want to go into a quick disclaimer like i like we say in our opening we don't usually do like trigger warnings like that's our disclaimer that this whole episode this whole brand is morbid but Mm -hmm. just to give an overview of what we have going on in this episode we do have child sexual assault we have sexual exploitation and assault in general mention of drugs drug abuse bestiality i'm sure there are other things so this is not an all-encompassing trigger warning if you don't feel like you can hang with any of those things that's cool you can tune in next week and see what content we have going on 
But this episode is going to have a lot going on now that we've gotten through the background of Playboy. Okay. Perfect. So where we last left off, Hefner has moved into the iconic Playboy Mansion in Homely Hills, California, full-time. Now, according to E! Online, this is going to be a direct quote, and this article is by Sydney Contreras. The article is, Secrets of Playboy Bombshells, Sex Rings, Kidnappings, and FBI Investigations. Okay. This is where the quote begins. The Drug Enforcement Association, a.k.a. DEA, and FBI were convinced that there was rampant drug use going on in the Playboy Mansion. So, they targeted Hefner's secretary, Bobby Arnstein. When the Mm. FBI arrested Arnstein, they found cocaine in her purse and tried to make her flip on Hefner. Playmate Adrian Pollock had previously died of a drug overdose. But the authorities reopened the case after rumors surfaced that she and Arnstein Arnstein were supplying drugs to the bunnies. According to the New York Times, Hefner said that the FBI was on a witch hunt and that there was no truth to the rumors. Arnstein later committed suicide in January of 1975, at which point the FBI's case went cold. Now, Hefner's ex, Sandra Theodore, claims that she was a drug mule for Hefner, saying in episode four, luckily I had angels watching over me and I never got caught. So that was all a direct quote from that article. So we've got, Mm. you know, a lot of drug, drug muling. We've got, you know, suicide. And obviously Hugh is just like, hush, hush, like, none of this is going on. Everybody's lying. I'm this great, like, little guy, you know? Yeah, we love a two-faced bitch. Yeah. <laughs> God. For um, fake, not for real. No. Go away, fake bitches. So, according to an article by Daniel Bates for the Daily Mail, Lisa Loving Barrett, Hafner's executive assistant during the late 1970s and 80s, said that Hafner had a stockpile of quaaludes. And just as an FYI, quaaludes are a powerful sedative or date rape drug. It's the same stuff that, like, Bill Cosby's accusers say that he drugged him with. So, same vibes. Now, Barrett said that at the Playboy Mansion, the drug was known as the, quote, leg spreaders, and that they were regarded as a, quote, necessary evil because they made a woman do anything. I hate that. Yeah, it sounds unnecessary. Maybe, like, if a woman wouldn't do it without being drugged into oblivion, you just shouldn't be doing it. Just, that's a thought. Okay, yeah. So, Hafner would have his own prescription for these quaaludes, as would Barrett and others who worked at the mansion, And Hefner would basically have, like, a report time, and all of them would come in, give him their prescriptions, and Hefner would collect them all and keep them in his drawer in his bedroom, ready to give them to the women who he brought there. Barrett claimed that Hefner would take small amounts of the amphetamine dexedrine every day to keep himself alert, and also cocaine was a big deal in the house, and there was a powder room off the Great Hall where underneath an ornate toilet paper holder, there was just, like, a pile of cocaine. It's just like, welcome to my bathroom. Here's the cocaine pile. Okay. Wow. Not my favorite thing. I don't love that. No. As a matter of fact, the drugs were so widely available that one of Hefner's poodles became addicted to cocaine and used to sorry, lick it off the floor. sorry, did you just say a fucking cocaine-addicted poodle? I did. Like, what the fuck is going on that your poodle is I mean, a listen, addict? like, and, and I don't have any problem with a little coke snorting at a party. I, I will... N- I'm a baby, so... Like, I will I, neither I, confirm nor deny that I've ever done lines at a party, but, I mean, you know... It's it, it's a party drug. It's not... Coke is like, not for poodles. Yeah, it's also not for poodles, though. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, I mean, it's not... We can all agree. It's not like heroin, but... 
It's also not for poodles. Like, maybe just don't let your poodle get the Coke. Maybe don't have a Coke pile in the bathroom. Maybe that's a good first step. Yeah, I mean, you could maybe just have, like, a Coke container with, like, a poodle-proof lid. <laughs> she, she said, I'm thinking of the poodles in this situation. I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm not opposed to the cocaine usage if it's, you know... If everybody's doing it of their own free will, hey, snort some lines. That's cool. But let's Is just be like super addictive, though. Like I, I thought that it uh, was. I mean, I mean, it's not me it's not googling. Like, it's cocaine dangerous? It's, I'm not saying it's not dangerous. I'm not saying it's not addictive. I'm just saying it's not heroin or fentanyl. Okay. I'm I'm just saying I, like I can, it's it's widely accepted that. as as a party drug. I think this requires a side right. note for context yeah. for people of what a baby I am. So I'm gonna give you an anecdote, actually two anecdotes about my encounters with the marijuana, the, the devil's grass, okay? So I remember being 18, right? Just a babe, just a wee babe. I might have even been 19. I, I was definitely I was 19, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. I was 19 years old. This would have been before I was pregnant with my first daughter, just before that time. And I had a cousin who was working as a corrections officer, right? And he did the, like, what do you call it when you take inmates out for, like, community service type stuff, right? You know, like, picking oh, up okay. yeah, debris and stuff. Okay, I can't think of the... Chain gang duty. Yeah, basically. So, he came back home and he had picked some something off of a an inmate. And it was in a Ziploc baggie and he threw it down on the living room table. And he looked at me and my cousin and he goes, Y'all know what that is? And at the exact same time, me and my cousin... My cousin's younger than me. And he goes, That's pot, daddy. And I say... Is it a dead mouse? <laughs> like, literally. <laughs> no concept. Now, flash forward a bit later, I did, in fact, partake in the green stuff, like, one or two times at this point. And I went, I was in college at the time, and I went to, like, the therapy center at my university, and I was like, I'm here because I think I have an addiction problem. They were like, what? <laughs> they were like, no. <laughs> you have a drug they're like um actually this is just called like being like a normal college student like let me know if you have any real problems but honey like you're okay you're just like at least at least they had the common sense to tell you that instead of like like, girl because some therapist would have straight up told you like oh my god you need to go to rehab because you smoked Mm -hmm. weed twice yeah, but they literally were like, LOL. They were like, Shout out my old therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these people were literally like, who hurt you? And I was just like, oh, like, okay, I'm not going to, like, yeah. make this my, like, everyday routine, but good to know that I'm not a full-fledged addict now. Glad we checked that, like, off my yeah. list of things to look into. So, yeah, that's why I say I'm a baby. She's like, yeah, like a little bit of cocaine. I'm like, no cocaine. It's bad for your nosy. (laughs) Not the nosy. (laughs) Not the nosy. Protect the nosy. When your kids kids become teenagers and they get caught out partying somewhere, they're going to call me. Yeah, and they better call you and not me because I'm going to be like, protect your nosy at all costs. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to be like. What were you thinking? They're going to be like. Toe, can you please come get me? I do not want to get my mother involved in this. <laughs> God. Oh, 1978, because I cannot think about these things. So, in 1978, in search of positive publicity that Hefner, like, much needed at this point, he raised funds for the restoration of the Hollywood sign and personally purchased the letter Y for the restoration process. Just mm-hmm. to, like, be like, hey, I know there's been a lot of talk about drugs, but look at the good work I do for the community. I bought the letter Y. Okay. Oh, the letter Y. Like, why? Mm-hmm. As in, like, one why the fuck do you do all the other things you do? <laughs> okay. <laughs> one whole fucking letter, you rich bitch. I mean, or was he, like, really rich at this point? 
I mean, think about it. They said that he like peaked in the 1960s. So I would. That's true. And he had coke piles. He had coke piles. Community is why couldn't why couldn't you afford a coke container with a lid? Damn, I don't know. I think all these people were probably so high. They were probably just dropping coke everywhere. And the poodle was just, like, there. (laughs) It's not even about the poodle. It's just about how fucking uncivilized is it that your coke doesn't have a lid? It's super uncivilized in my personal Like, that's like, would you you store your sugar for your coffee in a container without a lid? Absolutely you wouldn't. What if they thought it was, like, the sugar for your Rice Krispies? Would you just, like, would you just put your sugar in a fucking bowl and, like, just sit it out? No, the fuck you wouldn't. That's, That's not something. Ants. Exactly. So God. let's treat our coke like our sugar. <laughs> Such a, a beautiful way I'm to put it. I'm sorry, that. I'm just hyper fixated on the fact that they didn't have lids for their coke containers. Moving on, you crazy bitch. So um, this quote is from E-Online, also the uh, Secrets of Playboy bombshells article that we mentioned above by Sydney Contreras. The former security guard, Jim Ellis, and bunny mother, PJ Mastin, claimed that the women who worked at Playboy clubs were vulnerable to the club members, and they alleged that the women were often drugged and assaulted by men who frequented the clubs. In one specific 1978 incident, six Playboy bunnies were kidnapped, drugged, and raped while held captive in New Jersey, according to an article from the New York Times. Mastin said at least 40 to 50 women were assaulted, but they were not allowed to report crimes to the police or take victims to the hospital. Mastin said that she was a member of the, quote, cleanup crew who made Mm. sure assaults weren't shared with the public. Oh, my God. Yeah, disgusting. And then just another juxtaposition here for you guys. There's that fucking word again. (laughs) So, 1979, Hefner starts the official Playboy Jazz Festival. Technically, it's the second one after a one-time stint in Chicago. But his daughter creates the Hugh Hefner First Amendment Award to honor individuals like her father, who significantly contributed to the evolution and protection of free speech. And in 1980, Hefner gets a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And then here we have, back to Cindy Contreras and her article, this information comes from her. This is around 1976 to 1981 now. Mm -hmm. So at this time, Sandra Theodore, previously a Sunday school teacher, dated Hugh from 1976 to 1981. The ex-girlfriend claims that their sex lives became increasingly wild and I'm going to give a disclaimer here that this is going to be mention of animal abuse and, like, sex things. So, you guys, if you want to skip ahead a minute, skip ahead a minute. But the reason why I feel like this is so important is because it just goes to show we have one portrayal of how things are going on from a public standpoint. Like, mm-hmm. there's you know, these jazz festivals and, oh, the First Amendment Award and, oh, the Hollywood Star of Fame. And then meanwhile, we have accounts from people who are close to Hugh, such as Sandra, and this shows what's going on behind closed doors. And that's why I feel like it needs to be included. Right. This is the point where you skip ahead a minute if you need to skip ahead a minute. And go. Okay, so Sandra says that their sex lives became increasingly wild and she once walked in on him having sex with their shared dog. She said that she absolutely could not believe what she was seeing, and she added that she never left him alone with their dog again. But I'm like, girl, you didn't I hope this was not the same dog that ate the Coke. Oh my god. That poor poodle has seen some shit if that's the case. What is going on with the fucking dogs in this place? Oh, okay. People might be timing back in. I wonder why Rocco's not a friend of the pod. Yeah, he's like, don't be talking about this shit. <laughs> I'm gonna have to say, like, guys, I hate, I hate this, but if you skipped ahead a minute, and now you're like, oh, it's done. It's not. Skip ahead one more minute. I'm so sorry. There's, there's, like, one more thing. 
So PJ Maston alleges that they made porn star Linda Lovelace perform oral sex on a German shepherd, which Theodore, that's Sandra, Sandra Theodore, she was also present for that. Shortly after that, Sandra did break up with Hefner, but obviously she was very traumatized by the things that she witnessed before she got up the courage to be able to leave that situation. Thankfully, and I'll let you guys know if anything else comes up, but I do believe that's the end for mention of animal abuse for this episode. So okay. I'll let you guys know if anything else comes up, but I'm pretty confident about that. So around the same time, we have pig nights being introduced. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, LJ, what are pig nights? You're welcome. It's not animal abuse. I'm just going to let you know that right now. Um, But it's still not good. It's not good. So these pig nights were confirmed by Hefner's previous valet, Stephen Tettenbaum, to have gone on from at least 1978 to 1981 every Thursday And he said that drugs were at the forefront of these evenings. Hefner would instruct two pimps to bring half a dozen women each to the mansion from Sunset Strip, which at the time was notorious for prostitution. Hefner thought that these women were quote-unquote pigs, but ordered his VIP male friends not to call them that to their face, according to the A&E Secrets of Playboy docuseries. A doctor would examine the women for any diseases or infections before they could have sex with the guests. And Tettenbaum, the valet, said that sometimes he had a special woman who had come up who he called the bleeder. So the bleeder Mm. would use a very large syringe and draw blood from these different friends. And another girl would come and perform oral sex or give them, like, and now hand stuff while they were having their blood drawn, which like maybe don't I don't know if that's what your thing. The that's your thing. Fuck? But I just like yikes, yikes on bikes for me. I don't know. That's just not a party I'd go to. It's just not for me. Yeah, it's not for most people. Yeah. So this is where we start to get into mention of child sexual abuse, unfortunately. And I'm just going to let you guys know that this story goes on for a bit, you know. So if you're planning on skipping ahead, I'm sorry, but you're going to need to skip a fair bit ahead. This is around 1980. We have Jennifer Saginor, I believe is how you say it. But we're just going to call her Jennifer because, quite honestly, I don't want to spend this episode butchering her last name with my speech (laughs) so jennifer she's the daughter of hugh hefner's personal doctor who was his personal doctor for 40 years she began living at the playboy mansion in los angeles at the age of 11 she would go on to write about her childhood experiences growing up in the mansion in her autobiography the autobiography is called playground a childhood lost inside the playboy mansion And she did also speak out about her experiences on A&E's series, Secrets of Playboy. So I recommend, you know, in an effort to support her, you guys maybe should check out that book. Jennifer says that she developed a relationship with one of Hugh Hefner's girlfriends, commonly known as Kendall, but her government name seems to be Carrie Lee. The two were involved in a romance while Jennifer was still a teenager. So essentially, Jennifer was being groomed under the eyes of watchful adults is what was happening. Let's call it what it was. So what upset Hugh wasn't the actual scenario of an adult and child engaging in a relationship that a child can't actually consent to, but that Jennifer was underage and he didn't want news leaking that his girlfriend was having sex with a minor. Hafner was notorious for setting strict rules at the mansion, including the infamous 9 p.m. curfew. For those of you who don't know, all playmates who lived in the mansion or all women inside the mansion had a 9 p.m. curfew. They could not leave mansion property after 9 p.m. It would be immediate grounds for removal, essentially, at his discretion. Yes, and it was definitely something that he used to 
control them. Even like overnights to go and visit family or whatever, like those were not frequently approved by any means. So it was a very isolating tactic and definitely meant to keep them codependent, meant to keep them from developing meaningful relationships outside of the mansion and to keep them, you know, locked in, locked into their situation and with minimal support system. So in an effort to prevent negative publicity, he set a new rule that Kendall and Jennifer couldn't meet outside of the Playboy premises. He was like, I'm not telling you to break up, but, like, you you can't be going out together. Not before nine, not after nine. You guys just can't meet up outside of Playboy. If you're going to be having an unethical relationship, have it here. <laughs> like, okay. okay. Great. Love love that. So, although Jennifer had come on mansion property as young as six years old and lived on the property in some capacity as young as 11, she permanently moved in with her father, known by the Playboy community as Dr. Feelgood, as a teenager, largely to be closer to Kendall and have less issues being seen with her by the media. According to Jennifer, Hafner would say that He regarded Jennifer as his daughter, but when she was only 17, he called Jennifer to his bedroom where she found him with Kendall and he propositioned the two of them for group sex. Jennifer, Yeah. Jennifer pointed out that her dad was right down the hall and all Hugh had to say about this, take a shot, you guys, because you're about to want to scream and say what, is we're all family here. do me a barf so (sighs) fucking hate it bro what is going on over there literally so kendall was visibly upset she burst into tears and went into the bathroom and it brought an end to the encounter and jennifer was like okay like do not go to jail do not pass go like do not collect 200 dollars like yeet i'm out right Mm -hmm. so eventually Hafner orchestrated an orgy two of the attendees at that orgy were Jennifer's father and Kendall Kendall then had to have the difficult conversation with Jennifer where she explained to her that they could no longer be intimate with each other anymore primarily because she'd had sex with her father what the fuck yeah yeah take a shot so, the move into the mansion had estranged Jennifer from her mom and her sister. After leaving the Playboy Mansion, when Jennifer stopped talking to her father, it ultimately less, left her isolated from her entire family. Years later, when Jennifer wrote a book about her childhood, she claimed that Hugh asked her not to talk about the instance where she, where he arranged an orgy with her father or, and Kendall, or when he solicited her for sex as a minor. Jennifer says that he got a slew of media interviews that she was due to give canceled and apparent revenge for talking out about what she experienced. Jennifer mm-hmm. went on record in episode nine of A&E's Secrets of Playboy saying that Hafner was in love with her father. She says, quote, what I've realized over time is that their connection was much more than best friends. It's my personal belief that the love of Hef's life was my father. She also claimed that Hafner and her father were privately lovers. Okay. Yes. So then, again, juxtaposition time, 1982. Hafner makes a guest appearance during season eight of Laverne and Shirley, in which he plays himself, and Carrie Fisher plays a Playboy bunny. Mm-hmm. Let's see. And then 1985... Hugh suffered a stroke, which he called, quote, a stroke of luck. He evidently joked that a book about the murder of a former playmate caused him the stress that led to his stroke. The book he's referring to is called The Killing of the Unicorn, which was about Dorothy Stratton, who was born in the 1960s and killed, I'm sorry, born born in 1960 and was killed very young in 1980. Dorothy had starred in the movie Galaxina, and they all laughed with Audrey Hepburn in 1980, and shortly after, her husband and manager, Paul Snyder, killed her. They were in the process of divorcing, but rather than 
divorced Snyder, sorry, rather than divorce, Snyder killed her and then ended up killing himself. But I just think it's so gross Mm. that, like, Hefner had a stroke and, like, this book is coming out about this poor girl's tragic murder and he's like oh well this was a stroke of luck because that that book sure was stressing me out and like but i'm surviving yeah. though like ew ew like this girl was murdered yeah have some tact get the fuck out of here hugh um so Nobody cares about same- your lucky stroke you dumb bitch <laughs> literally around the same time that this is taking place we also have allegations surfacing that hugh is pimping out his girls The article by Cindy Contreras goes on to say that according to Playboy's Donna Spear, it was commonplace for the women to be hired to entertain the high rollers during events, and she claimed that it was like they were pimping us out. Former playmate Christy Tom added that it felt like they were prostitutes. In 1985, Mickey Garcia testified in front of the U.S. Commission on Pornography claiming that more than one playmate participated in an international call girl ring, and that was according to the Chicago Tribune. In episode 7, Mickey... I'm sorry, that's in episode 7 of the Playboy docuseries on A&E that we mentioned. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mickey claims that women were being coerced into terrible things by Hefner and the other Playboy staff who trapped the models with unfair contracts. In 1988, Hefner names his daughter Christy chair and CEO of Playboy Enterprises, effectively relinquishing control of his company's new media expansion while still remaining editor-in-chief of the magazine and keeping his ability to choose the Playmate of the Month. Now, that was very important to him because it gave him the control to weaponize these centerfold titles amongst Playmates and Girlfriends so as to orchestrate orchestrate drama and pit the girls against each other to keep himself secure and in charge within the hierarchy of the mansion. Of course. Yeah. So, 1989, Hefner marries his second wife, Kimberly Conrad, with whom he would have two sons, Marston and Cooper. They Cooper was the CEO of Playboy Enterprises as of 2017. Now, Hafner and Conrad separated a decade after getting married and divorced a decade after that. Esquire spoke with Hefner about his time as a bachelor, and he remained adamant that while married, he never slept with other people, but went on to say, how could I possibly know how many people I've slept with? Over a thousand, I'm sure. By all accounts, Hugh certainly didn't stop being himself within the confines of marriage. But saying he upheld his vows during his marriage was all a part of this image he wanted to put out there, portraying himself as a man who is virtuous and wouldn't harm a woman, but also a man who could get whatever he wants when he wants it. Yeah, checks out. Yeah. Now, 1991, we have Caroline Tola Cossie. Playboy featured her. She was a transgender woman in a pictorial in 1991. And this was long before transgender rights and issues were widely recognized. I mean, we're still getting to that point right now, I feel like. like we've right. made progress, but, you know, we're, we're not there. We're not um, there. No. 34 years later, Playboy interviewed Cossie, and she insisted that Hafner had been both accepting and welcoming, saying that she could tell that Hefner really felt her cause. I think this is an important sentiment to include with regards to representation, but I also want to point out once again that one person's experience of, you know, having this encounter with somebody who's doing good work for their community, of course, doesn't take anything away from the victims who have come out with stories where they did not feel that same support. And I don't want to put words in Cossie's mouth, but I'm sure that as a progressive woman, she would probably echo that sentiment, I'm sure. I'm sure. Throughout the 90s, Hugh's life as a publisher and philanthropist earned him dozens of prestigious awards, 
from groups like the Magazine Publishers of America and the New York Friars Club, and he cultivated a meaningful long-term relationship with the film school at USC, where he would later donate $2 million to help fund and exhibit student films. He also continued his outward fight against censorship, and in 1998, he inducted he was inducted into the Hall of Fame of the American Society of Magazine Editors. His advocacy against censorship is still just, like, I can't get over it because he spends so much time and energy, you know, ensuring that he's censoring the women that he's around. And, and even the children in Jennifer's case that he groomed and abused, you know, but he's out there putting his face out as an advocate for free speech. And I'm sure that's so calculated. It has to be, right? Like, why else would you be such an advocate for free speech, but such a proponent of, in your personal life, shutting women up all the time? You know? Oh, I hate it. Yeah. So, go ahead. I hate him. I can't. I can't. (laughs) She's like, that's all. That's all. I just hate hate him. Okay, so that brings us to 2005. Hefner becomes more prominent again in the media when Girls Next Door was brought to the forefront of reality TV. This series featured Hughes' then-girlfriends, which included Holly Madison, who has been very vocal about her distaste for the mansion life in hindsight. Holly Madison is the author of Down the Rabbit Hole, Curious Adventures and Cautionary Tales from a Playboy Bunny, That said, I'm just going to cut in real quick and let you guys know that book was so good. I streamed it on Audible because I rarely have time to read. You can also stream it on Audible or stream whatever you want pretty much on Audible. If you go to saypsychorightnow.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of our website, there is a link there. If you click that link, you will get a three-month Audible free trial, and we actually get paid for it, which is amazing. It's cookie-driven, so it resets. So if you guys want to help us out and get a three-month free trial, go and click that. Read what you want to read, and yeah, but definitely check it out, and you can even listen to this book on there, which was a great source for this episode. So just wanted to plug that in there. So perfect. So one anecdote that stood out to me from Holly's novel that would have taken place around this time is that Hugh's prior girlfriend, Vicky, was running a prostitution ring inside the Playboy Mansion. She outsourced these playmates to a notorious Hollywood prostitution ring run by Hollywood Madam Michelle Braun. And it's alleged that Michelle Braun placed girls in the mansion in an effort to, you know, have them inside to to cure these vulnerable women for her prostitution ring as well. Okay. You know what I mean? Right. So she had, like, a little mole that she would send in. Extra, I hate that. Yeah, so Hugh implemented passport checks. And if any of the girls had been to Turkey, which would corroborate in his eyes association with that prostitution ring i guess there was like a direct correlation you know what i mean there Uh had to be but he would do passport checks and if he saw that any of the girls had been to turkey they would be let go as a playmate so that was his way of controlling the women and limiting them from making money on the outside to better their situation and leave the mansion He was very jealous-natured and driven by a love for drama. He actually, at one point, Holly was doing really well at her job that she had before she was a playmate. She worked at Hooters, and she got some, like, modeling gig or was going to be recognized in some way at work, but she would have had to be out, like, a bit past nine, and he was just like, you have to quit your job because he was just so jealous that she was doing well in something that wasn't related to him. Yeah. So Holly Madison in 2008, she ended up leaving Playboy as a result of many years of Hugh putting the girls against each other and just like gaslighting the girls and performing activities that she wasn't comfortable with. 
She said that plastic surgery was encouraged, group sex was required. Of course, they had the 9 p.m. curfew, and her life was just completely controlled by Hugh. Upon her decision to leave the mansion, she even contemplated suicide due to the amount of revenge porn that she knew he would have at his disposal. But the girl's next... I know, it's so sad, so sad, the headspace that he would get these girls into. Like, it's just so sad. In Holly's case, the girls next door ended up being a really good catalyst for her because it gave her professional experience behind the scenes. She secured a role where she was able to make creative decisions for photo shoots and assist in other directions of operations. So it gave her kind of... Yeah, it gave her, like, a really good sense of independence and direction for something, like, outside of the mansion itself. And Holly would go on the record later saying that she believed that, or believes, rather, that she developed Stockholm Syndrome at the hands of Hugh. Like, she really believed that she was in love with him until she realized how toxic things were and she was like oh my gosh like this isn't normal i've got to get out like Mm, i can't have friends i can't maintain connections with my family i can't make my own money he like checks the receipts for you know the money that he has given me to make sure that it's just enough to stay pretty for him and not enough to build up a fund to get out of here you know what i mean like she's like this isn't it things shouldn't be this way but she at one point really did believe that she loved you genuinely and she realizes later that this was in fact stockholm syndrome for her at the hands of the abuse and there were a lot of statements from other parties that corroborated holly's fears of revenge porn the online's article, Secrets of Playboy, that we keep mentioning by Cindy Contreras, that was such a good source. And she said that many people who have worked at or patroned the mansion gave insight into their personal experience with Hefner and Playboy with regards to potential for revenge porn. In episode one of the A&E docuseries about Playboy secrets, bunny mother PJ Mastin alleges that Hefner had sex tapes of women as collateral. And the ex-girlfriend we mentioned before, Sandra Theodore, added that he had tapes on everybody. Everybody. Mm. Steven Tettenbaum, the valet and security that we mentioned earlier, when we were discussing the quote-unquote pig parties, he said that it wasn't just sexual in nature either. Like, every place had microphones and little cameras, and they had to be very careful because... They all knew that they were being monitored. So it was like, even if you weren't directly participating in some of the activities, you know what I mean? Sure. You could He could still be like, well, you were there, so therefore you were complicit, you know? God. And, yeah, so calculated. In episode 10 of the same docuseries, Mickey Garcia and Theodore reveal that they were told in the case of Hefner's death, his executive secretary, Mary O'Connor, was instructed to destroy all sex tapes. The former executive assistant, Lisa Loving Barrett, says that she was told they were to put them in a barrel and throw them out to sea, which I feel like is so dramatic and also not good for the ocean. (laughs) Like, could you not, like, do something else? I don't know. Um, Yeah. Yeah stupid yeah in 2010 Hafner set the guinness world record for the longest running editor of a magazine and he also sets one for the largest personal scrapbook collection documenting essentially his entire life that year he proposes to crystal harris but that said i want to focus on the scrapbooking component here for a second because he literally would scrapbook everything when i say everything i mean We're talking group sex, photos taken of drunk or impaired women without their consent, um, photos of his parties. He would catalog all of this for his personal use, but also to be shared with others, which contributed to many playmates feeling 
trapped for fear of retaliation should they elect to leave the playmate lifestyle behind or speak out about mm-hmm. their experiences yeah super sad like fuck your world record you pig and then in 2010 Hugh spoke with Vanity Fair and prevented conflicting views when it came to women's sexuality. John Halpern said to Hefner, essentially, but feminists still oppose you for treating women as objects. And right. Hugh responded, quote, they are objects. Oh my god. Fuck yeah. you. He insisted in the same interview that he has been an advocate for women's rights but feminists in general push back against both the magazine's exploitation as well as Hafner's personal exploitation of women. And there's like a Advocate long in my ass. Exactly. I mean there's a long record of Hefner like treating women as objects, which is completely anti feminist. We've got, you know, the pig nights, we've got the required group sex five nights a week per Sandra Theodore, the prior girlfriend. He refused completely to utilize any contraception. Mm. Why? In the 1970s, okay. it was... <laughs> she said, okay, still stuck on that. So bad. In the 1970s, it was common practice that he would provide a key to Playboy club members, which would literally open the doors to the mansion and essentially invite people in to do with the playmates as they please. And, of course, none of this is disclosed to the young women who are initially brought into the mansion, usually from vulnerable circumstances. God, fuck you, half. Yeah, and he loved to be like, oh, like, she was a small-town girl before this and blah, blah, blah. And, like, I made her. Well, yeah, she was a small-town girl who was going to be stuck, like, in a cornfield for the rest of her life if she didn't do something drastic. And now you have her being regularly assaulted for what? The promise of a yeah. centerfold, maybe. Maybe, if she's nice. She was a small town girl, so you let an entire small fucking town run a train on her? Oh my god! So generous. Thank you for giving her that opportunity that she wouldn't have had in Corntown. Honey, as somebody that comes from Corntown, let me tell you, dick is abundant and of low value in Corntown. <laughs> god. So, it's an opportunity that wasn't even a gift, Hugh. It wasn't Honestly. even a gift. So, by all accounts, these young women are told that the media portrayals of, like, how sexualized playmates are and, like, you know, having sex with Hugh and having sex with the people around Hugh, like, oh, it's just all for publicity, like, sex sells, but really, like, there's no actual sex at the mansion, it's just modeling and, you know, hanging out or whatever. And then you come to find out that's obviously not the case at all. But these girls are literally, like, they're brought in. They're like, oh, like, no, that's just the media. And then it's like, okay, get ready for group sex. It's required because he took, he let you come out to the clubs with us tonight. So, like, how else are you going to say thank you? Like, don't be rude. Don't be rude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he also had a cataloging system he had in which he would take polaroids of women and rank them a b or c c's were essentially only eligible for potential cyber catalogs and basically like desperate situations where he needed more female guests at parties b's were welcome to the fun in the sun parties and other body paint parties at the mansion and a's were welcome to all events and would be considered for playmate position opening centerfolds you know, mansion spots as girlfriends, all of that. And so, yeah, 2012, Hefner married Crystal, who was 26 at the time. He would have been ancient as fuck, considering mm-hmm. that he was born in, like, 1926, we decided, I think. So, yeah, that checks out. Yeah, old. 2016, the Playboy Mansion in Los Angeles was sold with a stipulation that allowed Hefner to live there for the rest of his natural life. And in 2017, Hugh died at, (laughs) I'm so stupid, my notes said, I was like, what? That makes no sense. I put died at 1991. He died at 91. Dumbass. So in 2017, Hugh Hefner died at 91 at the LA Playboy Mansion. 
This was on September 27th of 2017. He was buried in a Los Angeles crypt that he purchased in 1992. And of course, it was the one located directly next to Marilyn Monroe because he was so proud of that first edition. And so now Marilyn Monroe can't even fucking rest i feel like because her photo was literally published without her consent and he's like i know i would like to be buried next to this woman i violated please marilyn monroe is literally sitting there banging on her crypt asking to speak to the fucking manager right now literally she's like, can i speak to the manager of this fucking graveyard because who let this piece of shit be next to me for fucking eternity like this this is not what i want this is not what I planned. And I just gotta say. She would be giving high school musical vibes, you know? All right, let's not quit your day job. Ma'am. Havner passed away one month before allegations against film producer Harvey Weinstein surfaced. And the Weinstein allegations ultimately led to a widespread hashtag MeToo movement, prompting mm-hmm. Havner's legacy to be called into question via many different media channels after his passing as As it should they should have been fact and there are tons of sources that i'm going to put in the show notes for both of these episodes so check them out as a matter of fact i'm not sure about the book by jennifer Saginaw. I know I'm butching her last name. Poor lady. But point being, there was her book. There was Holly Madison's book. Those will both be in the show notes. And you guys can purchase the books via our Amazon link in the description. Or if you're more of like an audio book girly, go to saypsychorightnow.com. Scroll all the way down. Click the little audible button, get your three-month free trial, and give them a listen. Yeah, but thank you guys for hanging in for two episodes of What the Fuck. Yeah, thanks for being that for us. We love you guys so much, and we'll see you. beautiful time. Yeah, it was. I I don't know. See you next week. I like that description. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I was like, it really wasn't a beautiful time. I hated it. I hated it also. Okay. But I loved hating it with you. Oh, I love hating things with you too. Aw, bestie. Okay, let's not. Can we hate things again together next week? Of course. God, see you guys then. All right, toodaloo. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Oh no! Did we perform a fuckeroni?